Welcome to the VO2 Lounge podcast, the podcast that goes into what makes great athletes great. In this week's episode, we're going into doping. Now, doping has become a key issue in the sports world, which deserves serious consideration as uh, specialists are still striving to understand how and why it happens and how to prevent it. Um, Sensational revelations in the press reflect the gravity of the worrying situation uh, resonating in most sports disciplines. This isn't just track and field or this isn't just cycling. This is almost all sports have some underlying tone of doping. Um, Whether that is, as I've said, cycling, which is little more hush-hush or bodybuilding where it's incredibly overt. The reason I'm doing this episode is because Ever since, um, well, ever since the dawn of time, <laughs> but really ever since this year when Jonas Vingegaard went and absolutely demolished the competition at uh, the time trial during the Tour de France and then went on to put even more time in and how incredibly dominant Jumbo Visma have been, there is always that underlying thought of doping. This isn't me accusing any team of doping. This is me saying this raised my curiosity in really what is there, what is out there that people can do to get an advantage, how is it controlled, uh, what is our anti-doping agencies doing to try to get a control on it, and and really, what, what are the possible gains? Now, cases of doping compromise the credibility of performance in sport itself. The victories of some heroes becoming questionable and uh, disputable, like, for example, Jonas in the tour. Uh, I mean, look at the um, really the tour in its entirety it is plagued with incidences of either confirmed doping or perceived doping effectively and nowadays some sporting disciplines seem to have managed to surpass the human limits and sometimes even the legal limits really the financial interest the pressure to obtain better results the media coverage of sports competitions And last but not least, the human nature can explain this phenomenon. There are too many motivating factors in reality uh, for doping to really never exist. Now, it's clear that in some disciplines, such as athletics or cycling, human performance cannot improve endlessly. There is going to be some boundary. Nowadays, sports are no longer just sports, uh, as sports become an industry, a business, a reason for political or national pride, and these facts can only lead to breaking any rules to win, really. Sometimes, consciously um, camouflaged with a network of specialists behind or on their own, some athletes think maybe they won't uh, get caught, because today sports mean sponsors, advertising, contracts and money. And for that, some believe that any risk is worth taking. Even risks to their own health, often with huge and irreversible consequences in some cases, um, no longer really matter to them. Uh, the doping phenomenon in sport is increasing and diversifying uh, as are the drugs used for doping. This was one of the key things I was looking at because it has changed over the years. Uh, there is a permanent race among those who uh, invent new doping methods and sports ethics organizations that are searching for more perf- um, performant methods to detect doping. Unfortunately, 
Most of the time, those in the first category are always one step ahead, leading to doping to continue to not run rampant, but to just be ever-present. So let's start with a bit of like the history of doping, a bit of background, context. So over time, there have been several definitions of doping itself. Uh, Beckman's Sports Dictionary describes uh, doping as the use of performance-increasing substances which would place the athlete on a superior position than that he would naturally or normally have obtained. So the first official definition of doping dates from about 1963 uh, and it was issued by the European Committee uh, sorry European Committee Council doping represents the use of substances or physiological mediators which are not normally present in the human body introducing external aid to increase the athlete's performance during competition so According to the Anti-Doping Convention of the European Council, doping in sports means that administration or use of doping agents or doping methods by athletes. The doping agents or methods referred to are those doping agents which have been banned by the Anti-Doping Agency themselves and which appear on a list of, uh, um, of substances that are prohibited. Now, athletes are those persons normally participating in organized sports activities. So doping is not a modern term in Norwegian mythology. The use of performance strength increasing substances has been reported as uh, bufotine, a substance known to increase the physiological performance obtained from frogs, uh, for, sorry, from, from skin or from uh, mushroom species, uh, amen, amanti. Uh, mushroom species so doping methods were used also in the roman empire where racing horses were uh, doped with various blends of substances aimed to increase their speed and stamina also gladiators have been mentioned as users of strength increasing agents which you know if you're fighting for your life against another person or a animal why not get some kind of advantage because death or be doped up on something, probably going to pick the doping. Um, so doping was described in modern sports in the second half of the 20, uh, 21st century. During the Saints uh, Louis Marathon in 1904, uh, Tom Hicks uh, died as a result of using a mixture of uh, uh, cognac and strychnine. Sorry, after. Uh, multiple incidents of com- competitions in 1928 the international athletic federation the iaf became the first international federation to ban doping in athletic competitions 32 years later an anti-doping testing was implemented now regarding the olympics the first official controls took place in 1972 uh, olympic games in uh, munich for conventional substances um, anabolic steroids were the first substances controlled in the 1976 Olympics uh, in Montreal and as a consequence many athletes were disqualified and lost their medals this led to a decision by the International Olympic Committee the IOC which stated that the results doping tests should be made public within competition 
That was the beginning of an open fight that begins in the 1980s between those seeking uh, finding new doping substances that are not yet anti-doping listed and the authorities that try to detect these substances. So it's clear, however, that between these two sides there's a gap in favour of those uh, interested in cheating. Introducing anti-doping controls outside competitions was a new milestone in the anti-doping campaign and this was introduced in 1989. Now in the modern professional sports, many athletes have been tested positive with forbidden substances. Perhaps the most publicised case being that of the Canadian Ben Johnson, the famous 100 meter runner for the use of anabolic steroids. Uh, it was the first doping scandal in history of the Olympic Games which led to Johnson's suspension for two years and then for life because he tested positive again in 1993. Now after the fall of the Iron Curtain, information about industrial, synthetic and scientific doping from the former German uh, Democratic Republic and in general from the communist state started appearing with dozens of athletes experimenting with side experiencing side effects of the end of their career. This information revealed a negative aspect of sports history and unscrupulously used as a propaganda tool to demonstrate the superiority of the socialist society in which the athletes and his health were uh, represented nothing. So currently, doping is considered as many uh, as any violation of the following rules. The use or attempt to use forbidden substances or pro a prohibited method, refusal or sampling after refusal for sampling after receiving uh, an invitation to doping control in accordance with the anti-doping rules, avoidance of sampling, uh, falsification or attempt to falsify any part of the doping control, possession of prohibited substances and or methods of administering said substances or the um, methods themselves, trafficking or attempting to trafficking of any prohibited substances and or methods. So that's kind of really the history of doping, where it's at now, where it came from, and really the fact that if there is a way to get an upper hand on someone that is a fast track or is going to push you past the point away you could have previously got, then why not add it to your regime is effectively where doping is at. Moving on to what people are actually using to get this advantage and what they're doing to doping. So depending on the country's legislation, doping substances can be bought from pharmacies, supplement stores, or most commonly from the black market. That is really where a lot of banned substances, because some of them are also not legal for distribution um, freely, like without a prescription. So for a substance or performance improvement method to be classified as doping, it must meet at least two of the following three criteria. Uh, to improve performance, to present a hazard, to prevent a hazard, uh, present a hazard to the health of the athlete, and to violate the spirit of sport. Which the final one, a little bit wishy-washy, if you know what I mean. But I suppose spirit of sport is just cheating, really. I suppose uh, other methods of improving performance, such as blood transfusions, are also included in the doping category. So. It's split up into quite various different uh, types of substances, but we'll just go through. So, uh, 
We'll start with substances that have not been placed on the market. So these are, could be like retired drugs, uh, such as subutramin, which was a was or is still a weight loss drug. So obviously for cyclists or any kind of weight critical um, sport where it could be beneficial to be heavier earlier in the season to say put on muscle or train more volume and then naturally you're not going to be able to shift the weight quick enough so you could use something such as this to help you shift the weight quicker um, designer substances um, like uh, tetrahydrogesterone which is a designer drug um, orally active anabolic steroid um, you've also got drugs used in veterinary medicines. Now, the designer drug, I feel like, is the big thing. At, well, I, I don't know how to say it, but it seems a bit like kind of the big thing at the moment in the sense that people are wondering what could people possibly be on because, look, this is banned, this is banned, this is banned, this is banned. They do tests, say, for example, in the tour or other sporting federations. But people aren't getting popped for it. So you then wonder... Is it just designer drugs which are banned, but they can't be banned until they know what they are? So at that point, it is kind of just the spirit of the sport where you say, look, you can't use any of these things. If you want to use it, present it to us. We'll tell you if it's a fucking drug you can use or not. But if they don't do that, they go and un, 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 unkept. Um, next, you've got anabolic agents, so exogenous anabolic steroids, um, andro Dedenol and gesterone, um, endogenous anabolic steroids with uh, exogenous administration. Um, you've got other anabolic agents such as uh, tibolone, zilpatrol, uh, zeranol, uh, dehydrotestosterone. Now, and then testosterone itself, really, but just any of those those are clear as day what the benefits are same as for a gym go if you're a bodybuilder then obviously it's pure mass putting it on retaining it while you're dieting so on so on and so forth if you're a cyclist or a runner where you're not really concerned about putting on mass it could just be weight retention recovery allowing you to do greater volume it's just going to improve recovery and yeah if you push it beyond physiological levels even if it's just a smaller amount then you are going to see benefits um, peptide hormones and growth factors uh, so erythropoiesis stimulating agents like erythropoietin um, which epo for those you know who know um, this is effectively just stimulating red blood cell growth and then you're getting a greater oxygen carrying capacity so this is going to be more specific to endurance sports uh, luteinizing hormone in men um, which effectively is going to uh, inhibit the uh, production of um, estrogen and if you are obviously Essentially, these are things that may in themselves not be performance enhancing, but are a requirement if you are using other performance enhancing substances. Um, now, you've also got stuff like growth hormones, insulin, like growth factor, IGF-1. They're also banned. 
Now, then you've got beta 2 agonists, um, basically for acute asthma and widen the bronchi uh, in the lungs. Now, these aren't flat bands. Uh, so like salbutamol, formoterol, uh, um, these are um, moderated, if you know what I mean. So salbutamol, for example, is uh, 1600 micrograms over a 24-hour period. So obviously because they are necessary for people with a legitimate condition and then this is where it stems back to like I think there was an article once saying that like I don't know two thirds of the Liverpool team Liverpool football team were all asthmatic and on this whether it I mean when it's that big a population and in theory the sport has selected for people with adequate respiratory systems you wonder one is this horrendous misdiagnosis and you've actually just got post-exercise induced like bronchial constriction or like an ass effectively exercise induced like an asthma or whether this is a genuine poor look you're a bit borderline post-exercise we can give you this inhaler take this before and you'll feel better also performance enhancing so that's why it's a little blurry line but it is moderated so that it can't be pumped through the roof um, hormones and metabolic modulators also uh, also banned so uh, aromatase inhibitors uh, like um, which sorry I got this confused with another one sorry, not luteinizing hormone which exactly this aromatase inhibitors sorry are used to uh, control lower estrogen levels uh, and then you've also got metabolic mediators such as insulin which are also which again I couldn't find the specifics but I suppose would also be moderated slash the insulin profile and volume concentration of the individual is going to be different especially if you're a uh, elite athlete Specifically endurance, you're probably going to have, you're not going to be insulin resistant, so your insulin levels in the blood shouldn't be ridiculously high. But some of these steroids can make you acutely insulin resistant. So by dumping in insulin when you are doing these drugs, it can help effectively control that issue. So some of these things that are banned are not necessarily the drug itself is the problem. It's the fact that it's used as not necessarily a masking agent, but to uh, aid the individual during these times. Now, diuretics and other masking agents are banned. So uh, like glycerol, plasma substitutes, um, diuretics are banned because they can either be used for a water cut for weight loss or uh, to pass drugs through the system quickly say you've got something that maybe is only in the urine for 24 hours or something if you just pump all the water fluid out of you and get that out of your system there you go happy days dope to your heart content uh central nervous system stimulants um such as um non-specific stimulants like amph- 
amphiperome, and then specific stimulants like uh, adrenaline, uh, epidrine, these are ban stimulants, obviously a bit like caffeine, performance enhancing, and some of these are going to be banned because of their damage, potential damage to health. And so obviously the reason partially, I suppose, caffeine has a limit on it is because in moderate amounts, in really high amounts to be honest, it's not going to cause any damage. So it's allowed in the sport. And the improvements are big, but they're not absurdly big, I suppose. But at the same time, you're just not getting the same detrimental effect to the individual. Um, Now, narcotics are also banned, obviously. Now, these are used to mask pain, uh, but you've got like fentanyl, um, morphine, for example, pain relief. This could be twofold. It could be used to relieve the pain of the exercise or it could be an individual has a crash or is carrying an injury and then you give them morphine to help them get through but then cause that injury to be worse. Um, Cannabis extracts. um, Sometimes I look at it and possibly maybe it's a historic thing. It's just a class, well, it depends where you are, where what it's listed, whether it's legal or illegal. So I think that kind of carries over because to my understanding, there aren't direct performance enhancing effects of it itself. So it kind of, to some extent, doesn't make sense for it to be banned on a performance enhancing prospect. Um... Corticosteroids, also ban injections into the muscle or oral uh, corticosteroids, reduce the pain and the inflammation that often occurs within extreme exertion. Uh, and simply that, again, another form of masking pain, improving performance. Now, as well as prohibited substances, you've got prohibited methods because in some cases you're not... These methods are just exactly that. They're not, you're not injecting something into you as such, but let's get into it. So manipulation of blood and its uh, components. So the administration of products containing red blood cells into the circulatory system or increasing the amount of oxygen or its transport. So doping, blood doping. Now you've got physical and chemical uh, handling which is altering the integrity and the validity of the samples collected during anti-doping controls that has no benefit itself on an it's not a substance the athlete is taking in it's just simply masking the doping Uh, intravenous uh, infusions or injections of more than 50 mil six hours so clearly still just allowing for some space for necessary tasks i suppose um and then genetically doping so transforming of polymers and new um and uh, to or their analogs really so the use of uh, normal or genetically modified cells all this completely ban so since 2004 the world anti-doping agency wada has annually updated their code and related documents that outline the official international doping standards 
And then often I think sporting regulations would just point towards this or maybe have their own that deviate slightly and say this is banned, this is banned, this is not banned. But that is effectively the substances that are used, can be, well, can't be used, but can be used in the sense to get an advantage. Now, of course, there are substances that are performance enhancing, have been shown to here and there, some overtly performance enhancing, some less so. They're not banned. And you ask, why are they not banned? Well, possibly, one, because I guess the magnitude of them, and two, the hazard to health, likely, really, the fact that these substances have been proved not to be hazardous to health. So, to some extent, that's likely why they're not banned. So, one substance that is currently extensively studied for doping potential is paracetamol, funnily enough, so a substance commonly used as a painkiller um, and for treating fever. It has been noticed that in the case of cyclists, an athlete's performance have been improved. Now, this is, case of cyclists, is, it can increase performance by lowering body temperature and uh, so why couldn't it be used for other uh, athletes participating in like the marathon or people who run 5,000, 10,000 meters? I think clearly mainly a, I looked at it as a possible because of the pain relief, but it looks like it's more that core temperature regulation. You've also got L-carnitine, uh, which is an endogenous compound uh, an amino acid synthesized in the liver and the kidneys from lysine and methionine, two essential amino acids. And it can be found, especially in food of animal origin, but also in plants such as the soy, in such as soybeans, although in much smaller quantities. Now, L-carnitine administration increases the HDL cholesterol fraction. For athletes, the use of L-carnitine is based on the release of energy from lipids, saving a part of glycogen for the muscles. Now, I've gone into this in other episodes of why it's so important to effectively cultivate this glycogen-sparing capacity and that being predominantly because of the fact that in, well, in certain sports, like, say, long-distance running, it's a bit different in the sense that it's not as surgy as maybe cycling. Cycling is overtly important because you need effectively that glycogen store to burst of effort in a marathon where it's completely pancake flat less so i mean you maybe you're tipping into it but preservation it's a bit more of a tricky kind of line as to where it's most beneficial uh, arginine is a semi-essential amino acid that could be used to increase performance because of nitrogen ox- um, nitrogen monoxide released from the formation of uh, citrulline. Uh, nitrogen mono- uh, monoxide uh, having a vasodilatory effect. Now, athletes can use arginine to increase physical performance, muscle mass, and also their resistance in high efforts. Um, now, there are also a list of substances that, like what I've mentioned earlier, are only considered doping in when they exceed certain concentrations. Because you're going to be wondering now, why have I not mentioned caffeine yet? Now, caffeine can be considered a dopant substance due to its effects. 
slight uh, bronchial dilation, which is beneficial for athletes participating in endurance races, and also increasing diuresis, um, which can be beneficial if an athlete is doping and wants to rapidly eliminate the other drug in their body. So it's a diuretic. Other effects of caffeine are cerebral uh, vasoconstrictor, increasing gastric uh, acidity, and also the appetite. An athlete is considered doping when the urine concentration of caffeine is above 2 um, micrograms per mil. Essentially, if you took even as high as a 1,000 milligram dosage before an event, you'd still be fine by the end of like a 2, 3, 4 hour event. So really, it's I think it's there really as a safety net as such. Um, and I don't think we've ever seen anyone get popped for being on copious amounts of caffeine. So probably, there's probably more negative effects when you're that high up on caffeine because it just you just feel sick, wouldn't you, really? So uh, most beta-2 selective substances are banned from competitions, but there are exceptions such as salbutamol, which has a maximum inhalation dose of 1.6 um, milligrams per 24 hours. And salbutamol is present in a, uh, in a concentration higher than a thousand nanograms per mil in urine. Uh, in urine, and the athlete can be considered as doped. So, uh, formalterol is a substance used in asthma, and it is the same category of salbutamol. Doses of inhalation form uh, of formalterol is fifty-four micrograms per four hours and the urine concentration should be not exceed 40 nanograms per mil otherwise the athlete is uh, sanctioned and according to the rules so now you've also got specific central nervous system stimulants uh, substances that also have thresholds uh, epidrine and uh, methyl ephedrine i think it's pronounced are prohibited when the concentration reaches values higher than 10 uh, micrograms per mil um, pseudo-epiphedrine is prohibited when concentrations are greater than 150 micrograms per mil. Now, adrenaline is not forbidden when used locally in a nasal or um, epithelmic administration. Now, other substances that have uh, a, su a superior limit that can lead to the elimination of the athlete from the competition are uh, bupropone, nicotine, uh, pipitrol, uh, penylephrin, and penylepropolamin. <laughs> these, some of these, I'd just look up the list because the pronunciation, as someone non-familiar with most of these, it's hard to really get through. But that is... Uh, the substances that are have a, a limit, effectively. They're not flat-out banned, but they do definitely have a limit. To wrap things up, the fight against doping will always really continue. But anti-doping agencies will always be one set behind manufacturers of the new undetected um, substances with pharmacological properties similar to those already available on the market. Much of the substances used today can easily be detected, but the development of new, cheaper and faster methods could help anti-doping federations improve their controls over 
uh, doping within various sporting activities. Uh, the existence of rules and codes as well as anti-doping procedures and biological passports make doping more and more difficult to achieve. Another major factor that can lead to doping is the financial side. Good results get sponsors and publicity for some athletes being more than enough motivation for doping. Injuries are another reason why athletes uh, endanger their clean athlete status. There will be uh, they their will to return to competition can lead to compromises that can end their career. So usage of substances like exogenous substances, like for example testosterone, to help with recovery, become more important to them. Coaches have an important role in athletes' doping. Most of the time, they are responsible for the illegal actions of the athletes by offering them forbidden substances or by uh, acquainting them with people who are involved in doping. There are also athletes who do not know the utility of the substance or if it is on the forbidden list. And with their doctor's recommendation, they use a substance which may be on the forbidden list. An interesting case is that of food supplement purchased for um, unauthorized sites on the internet. By having a good, um, as with convincing message, these supplements can be bought by an athlete. Unfortunately, there is no organization to determine the com- uh, composition of these super- supplements. So when the athletes decide to use them, he is taking the risk of potential doping. Now, this is that's partially not true, to be fair. Um, there are ways of getting things tested, but, I mean, if you're just buying random supplements on the internet, you would have hoped they are tested, and then that's where you get some agencies that have informed choice, which is often batch-tested substances. Now, you get things like, I think even Huel now, will offer a batch-tested variant, usually more expensive, but it's batch-tested, so if you are an athlete who, you know, is getting tested and really wants to avoid it and it isn't actually doping in the first place and that's a good place to start it's important to note that from a legal point of view the athlete is actually 100% responsible for the substances that enter their body thus if an athlete um, ingests accidentally a forbidden substance uh, they are still responsible for it carrying out anti-doping controls both in and out competitions is a benefit for athletes who do not use banned substances. The number of athletes who have been positively detected outside of competitions is much higher than those who are found doped in competitions. Pretty simple, really. You you could use various performance enhancing drugs, know when they're going to be out of your system, and there's no need to carry on taking them through the competition just in the lead-up to it. Um, the effects... Uh, it, has, it has on the body is also an important topic when discussing about doping. For example, um, artificial testosterone leads to uh, stopping endogenous production of natural testosterone in the body. Uh, the difference is that the today's doping substances are safer than they were 40 or 50 years ago. When some athletes died because of them, in fact, many steroids are of medical use today are administered to patients who have uh, undergone difficulty operations and need faster recovery. You've also got uh, replacement therapies and so on and so forth. And if you're able to get your hands on a, when I say clean, I mean like 
a a substance produced in a medically in a sterile environment in with good manufacturing processes then it can be quote unquote safe to some extent to do them but obviously it's still against the regulations and in some cases still illegal so it should still be avoided um Athletes who uh, use different medication and have the consent of physicians should be careful to declare the use of such substances so that if the athlete is positively detected with it, the authorities know that the substances is needed to improve their health. I think these are TMOs, these are like exemptions effectively because you are using it for therapeutic use. I think there's probably a line somewhere of like what well, what is no longer therapeutic and if there are performance enhancing effects of it, how they deal with that, I'm not entirely certain. But current legislation is not very severe. Perhaps if the repercussions of being positive with illegal substances were higher, violations of rules would not be so common. Athletes should be educated about doping. And about the side uh, um, and adverse effects, the use of various prohibited substances with the aim of educating athletes to prevent them from doping phenomena. Now, to minimize the phenomenon of doping, information and prevention programs starting with athletes at a young age and evolving other stakeholders, examples, athletes, doctors, coaches and family, are necessary to establish and maintain correct uh, attitudes. But let's be honest we can conclude that taking into account the human nature and the social and economic implications of professional sports, the end of doping in sports is most unlikely an unrealistic goal. For more content like this, explore my previous episodes and consider following, rating and sharing the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Share your thoughts and suggestions of future topics at the vo2lounge at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time, it's goodbye.